Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Every year, people come to visit the Pennsylvania wilds. Thousands of people travel from out of state to visit the various landscapes and come to see all that this area of Pennsylvania has to offer. And in 1909, the Jersey Devil did it too. Some of you may have heard of the Jersey Devil. In a way, it's sort of the official state monster of New Jersey. According to legend, this creature was born in the New Jersey Pine Barrens about 300 years ago to a woman named Mother Leeds. Giving birth to her 13th child, Mother Leeds spoke up and involuntarily placed a curse on the child, leading to it to become the Jersey Devil, a kangaroo-like creature with bat wings and hooves. The Jersey Devil is still seen in remote areas of New Jersey to this day. Occasionally, there is an upswing in sightings that leads to a panic. In 1909, this happened. The Jersey Devil was seen repeatedly. People actually began calling in sick to work out of fear of a Jersey Devil attack, and the fear spread. It spread as far as central Pennsylvania, in fact, reaching what is today the I-80 frontier of the Pennsylvania wilds. The Clinton Democrat broke the story on January 28th of 1909 when the Jersey Devil was spotted in Williamsport. The Leeds Devil mysterious track seen in snow in Jersey found in Williamsport, read the headline. Some creature had left footprints in the snow in the backyard of a 4th Street home, hopping back and forth over a tennis net. Tracks were also found on a golf course north of the city, looking like either pony or canary tracks, depending on exactly where you stop to check. Two days later, the Jersey Devil had moved west toward Lock Haven. It was spotted at what today would be the conjunction 
of the I-80 frontier dark skies and Pine Creek Valley in the PA Grand Canyon landscapes of the Pennsylvania wilds. Night watchman E.W. Rogers saw the thing flying overhead just after midnight during his shift at the paper mill. He describes it as having a long neck, a large head with fiery eyes, with two legs about three feet in length, and a forked tail about five feet long, the newspaper reported. It appears to be about 10 feet long from its head to the tip of its tail and is an unsightly creature that would frighten almost any human. A couple of days later, the Jersey Devil had moved downtown. Charles Poorman of 316 North Grove Street woke up to hear something on his roof. Going outside, he found tracks in the snow up there, resembling hooves. As the sun rose, he propped a ladder up and let his neighbors go and look. The same night, Henry Stricker was working a shift at the Clinton Fire Brick Works in Mill Hall when he spotted the creature too. He said it was flying over the main building of the place, having the appearance of a huge bird with legs like that of an ostrich and hooves resembling those of a pony. The final sighting was February 10th when railroad conductor William Callahan saw the Jersey Devil flying again over the paper mill. While leaving the powerhouse at the station, he spotted it flying a considerable height above the paper mill. The description matched with a long neck, long head, and big wings. The creature flew off to the east, headed evidently back towards New Jersey, where it had come from in the first place. Nobody ever did figure out what the creature was exactly or what was spotted back then over the I-80 frontier. To this day, Jersey Devil sightings still happen in New Jersey where the creature is commonly thought to reside. But one thing is certain, the Pennsylvania wilds are such an impressive tourism area that even the Jersey Devil has been known to drop by for a visit. New Jersey has the most diners in the world and is sometimes referred to as the diner capital of the world. Jersey Devil Sightings Napoleon Bonaparte's brother Joseph was the King of Spain, but he lost a war against the English during the Peninsula War, and he had to step down from his throne. So, where does a former king go to live? Well, turns out in this case, Joseph Bonaparte went to New Jersey. Actually, he first moved to New York City and spent time in Philadelphia before he built a huge mansion in Bordertown, New Jersey. Because it, because it was located in between both of these cities. The mansion was very similar to country estates in France with manicured gardens and lavish parties. It was so big it had its own lake and a winding road that went through the forest. When he moved to New Jersey, he heard about the legend of the Jersey Devil. In the winter, he was left all alone in his country house 
and he decided to go hunting in the woods on his property. He saw very strange tracks in the snow that were unlike any animal he'd ever seen before. They looked like a donkey's hooves, but there were only two feet instead of four. When he turned around, he saw a huge creature with a horse's head and wings. It screeched and flew over his head. He told the story to everyone he knew, swearing that it truly was the Jersey Devil. Back in the 80s, people who lived in the middle of the Pine Barrens were given the nickname Pine Rats because they were often living in huts and cabins in the middle of nowhere, scavenging for supplies whenever they could find it. Today, they're called Pinesies, or like everywhere else in the country, just plain old rednecks. The woods were filled with moonshiners, criminals on the lamb, runaway slaves, and men who deserted the draft. Basically, everyone was hiding in the wilderness from something, and it was even more of a reason to give them a rude nickname. Most pine rats were superstitious and told a lot of spooky campfire stories about local legends, especially during the 1800s. So it was very rare for residents to go out into the woods after dark for fear of the Jersey Devil. In an issue of the Atlantic Monthly, a woman named Hannah Butler, who was labeled to be a pine rat, was drinking a strong apple cider that was known as Jersey Lightning. So she lost her fear at night and started walking in the forest. Sure enough, the one time she decided to go out and heard the blood-curdling screams that became famous for the Jersey Devil, she came face to face with the devil and described it as having black fur and hooves. Its face looked like a horse or a goat, but it stood on only two legs and had large leathery wings. In 1993, a forest ranger spots the creature near Molica River. In 1993, a forest ranger named John Irwin was inspecting the Mullica River, which runs through the Jersey Pine Barrens. He was driving when he had to stop his car because there was a huge animal in the middle of the road. He described it as having thick, black, matted fur, but it also had horns like the devil. It stood over six feet tall. Irwin and the Jersey Devil stared at each other for several minutes. This was years before people carried smartphones, so there would be no way for John to capture any evidence. He did not dare to move his car, afraid that it may try to attack him. After their staring contest was over, the creature went back into the forest. Assuming that Erwin was telling the truth, there are black bears in New Jersey, so was it possible that this was the creature he saw? When they stand up, they can be over six feet tall as well. However, as a forest ranger, you really should be able to tell if it's a bear or not. There is not another creature that could possibly match this description other than the Jersey Devil.
the Wharton State Forest is smack dab in the middle of the Pine Barrens, and it contains Batstow Village, which has been intact since the 1700s. In 1980, the chief forest ranger named Alan McFarlane was called out to a South Jersey farm near the Wharton State Forest. The entire pack of the farmer's pigs had been brutally slaughtered in the middle of the night. The back of each pig's head had been eaten as if something perched on their backs and ate their brains. Their backs were scratched, but whatever killed the pigs left the rest of the body alone and moved on to the next animal in the pack. This type of attack is not normal behavior for many of the local animals. In all of his years of experience, Chief McFarlane had never seen anything like it. The sight was horrifying, to say the least. The mystery has never been solved. Locals believe that the only possible explanation to this case is that the Jersey Devil must have done it. Charles Adams was inspired by a house in his hometown of Westfield to create the Adams Family Mansion. To celebrate the town's Adams Family history, Westfield puts on Adams Fest in October, has an Adams Family-inspired bar and restaurant called the Adams Tavern, and has the famous family featured in their Trader Joe's. This next story is about the Jersey Blob. It was recorded in the New York Times in August of 2003. <laughs> Today was supposed to be moving day for a bad smelling globular mass that came to be known among revolted residents of this Jersey Shore town as the Blob but the blob proved to be a slippery customer. The uproar over the blob began about 10 days ago when a local boater noticed a giant blue and white sulfurous formation floating in a narrow lagoon about 50 yards from the backyard piers of Daddy Tucker Drive. Ocean County health officials and the State Department of Environmental Protection were called in. With some poking, the environmental agency declared it a non-hazardous organic material, probably algae, that in decomposing had risen to the surface. Upon hearing about the blob, John Zingas, president of Air Sea Land Environmental Services in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, volunteered to remove it from the dead end lagoon where neighbors were complaining of a rotten egg smell, not to mention the endless stream of curiosity seekers. Despite borrowing its name from the 1958 Steve McQueen cult film, the New Jersey Blob did not require taser guns or explosives, but only a 24-foot motorboat and a 50-foot rope net 
to move it along. The plan was to haul it to a beachhead along the Great Bay. From there, the township was ready to scoop the slimy mass into two dump trucks and cart it off to one of the Public Works Department's yards where it would dry out and then go into a county landfill. But none of that turned out to be necessary. The day's challenge was assessing the size of the blob. Not an easy task in murky waters that provided just two feet of visibility, according to Mr. Zingus, who dove in with an underwater flashlight only to resurface moments later. I really have this innate fear of not being able to see what I'm diving into, Mr. Zingus said. I don't want to get swallowed up in the thing. From the surface, the blob appeared to be the size of a hippopotamus. Next was the challenge of lassoing the blob. It's like trying to capture jelly, said Anthony Savino, superintendent of public works for Little Egg Harbor Township, who helped stretch out a trawling net off the back of Mr. Zingus' company boat. When large brown gaseous bubbles began to appear on the surface above the blob, Mr. Savino suggested that maybe it's mad at us. The fifth attempt turned out to be the charm. We got it, Mr. Zingus announced. Now we've just got to be able to hold on to it. This proved to be the biggest challenge of all. No sooner had the boat started moving out of the lagoon when sections of the blob began breaking away. As the boat headed out into the open waters of Tuckerton Cove, Mr. Zingus noted that the net was getting lighter. Realizing that getting the blob out in one piece would be impossible, he quickly came up with another idea, which he put to Mr. Savino and Township Administrator Ray Yeruzio, who was also on board. How about we get out into the bay, I pick up some speed, and really break this thing up, he suggested. Then you guys won't have to deal with it at all. The two township officials nodded in approval. Mr. Zingus opened the throttle, and whatever was left of the, of the blob quickly oozed away. Just north of the Great Bay Bridge, Mr. Zingus hauled in an empty net. Mr. Savino called off his dump trucks, sending them back to the regular Monday assignment of collecting trash. Mr. Zingus predicted that the dispersed blob particles would wash out to sea. Back on shore, residents like Jay Masterson, who had voiced concerns earlier that the blob would keep growing and take over the neighborhood, were glad to be rid of it. I'm very happy to see it out of here. It stinks, Mr. Masterson said, after the rescue boat appeared to have the blob in its grasp. But others were quite certain they had not heard the last of the blob like any good science fiction story, this one left plenty of room for a sequel. We don't really know what happened to it, said Neil Brooks, who helped his son Matthew paint a sign pointing blob-seeking tourists to another part of town. There might be Son of Blob, The Blob Returns, or maybe even Baby Blob. Which New Jersey road has been called the most haunted road in America? It's been covered by major media outlets and has numerous supernatural stories surrounding it. 
you may have guessed. It's Clinton Road in West Milford. Though you've probably heard about this haunted drive, do you know the full story? Be prepared to be scared. The 10-mile stretch runs from Route 23 to Upper Greenwood Lake. Spooky legends have surrounded the stretch for over 100 years. It has apparently been host to ghosts, witches, unearthly animals, and earthly clansmen. One story says that two brothers stumbled across a KKK meeting on the road near Cross Castle. They made it out alive, but the same can't be said for everyone who's traveled down this paranormal path. Though the building was torn down decades ago, prior to 1988, Cross Castle on Clinton served as a meeting spot for a different kind of clan, devil worshippers. Who knows what rituals could have been held there? What evils could have been brought into the realm of the living? If you believe in dark magic, it'd be, it could be some seriously scary stuff. Reports of mysterious hellhounds and the elusive Jersey Devil are common here. Also common sightings of a ghost boy. He spends his time near the bridge by Clinton Brook. Many have reported seeing his reflection in the water. And legend has it that if you throw coins into the water, he will throw them back. The infamous ghost boy isn't the only haunt on the road. Legend has it that two park rangers were killed just off the road and that they still patrol the area. All the stories surrounding Clinton Road give me the chills, but none is more terrifying than the true story of the Iceman. In 1983, a cyclist spotted vultures cycling, circling a tree. After further exploration, he discovered a garbage bag with a human head sticking out. The investigation surrounding the murder led to the conviction of notorious mafia hitman Richard Iceman Kuklinski. In 1909, the Navy started a mass panic in the Pine Barrens. In 1909, members of the Navy were running drills at the Hanover Mill Works in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. A Navy commander named Stephen Decatur claimed that they were practicing shooting cannons when they spotted the Jersey Devil in the distance. They claimed that they even shot the creature with a cannonball. According to witnesses, they saw the cannonball come in direct contact with the Jersey Devil, and yet it was still alive. When the story got out, people had no choice but to believe it must be true, because it was coming from Navy officials. The public went into a deep state of panic. Over a thousand people contacted the police, claiming that they too had seen the Jersey Devil. And schools were canceled in the towns surrounding the Pine Barrens. New Jersey is home to their own paranormal books and curiosities museum and store in Asbury Park. They host seances, ghost tours, paranormal investigations, and tours of the museum.
tucked back into the woods not far from the road lies the ruins of what used to be a grand three-story stone and wood structure named the Cross Castle, named after its builder Richard Cross. Cross built the large estate for himself and his family in 1905 and lived there until his death in 1917. His family then sold the property to the city of Newark in 1919. Sometime later, a fire ripped through the abandoned settlement, leaving only the stone structure behind. In 1988, the building was demolished, but not before it had become a haven for Satanists and the KKK meetings. Even in the age the castle was built, the surrounding woods were thought to be evil and full of witches and bad spirits. Very few were willing to enter the woods, and even fewer would ever step into them at night. People who have braved the woods at night have heard strange chanting and manic laughter. Some have had seizures for, for unexplainable reasons and found animal sacrifices littered everywhere. Some have even had the unpleasant experience of bearing witness to a KKK gathering near the ruins. The Tom's River Terror of Tom's River, New Jersey. A haunting in the city made headlines several years ago when a family purchased a home in the neighborhood but fled after only a week, claiming there'd been strange noises and occurrences. Allegedly, doors would open and shut, whispers could be heard through the vents, and eerie dragging and scraping sounds came from the basement. The spookiest part of the story? A staff writer for an Urban Legends website went to interview the family, and apparently the eerie voice of a ghost child can be heard. When talking about haunted locations of New Jersey, you might expect to hear of hospitals, prisons, and even residences. However, one of the most haunted locations in New Jersey is actually a tree. The Devil's Tree, to be exact. There are various spooky legends that surround this creepy old tree in Bernard's Township. Some say that it was routinely used for lynchings in the past, and there are also stories that a man murdered his family and then came to the tree where he proceeded to hang himself. It's said to be cursed, and locals say that anyone who defaces or otherwise disrespects the tree ends up facing some kind of disaster. The strangest thing about the tree itself is that it is apparently warm to the touch, even in the dead of winter. And it's said that any snow that falls will instantly melt on and around the tree. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, 
give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories. And friends, be prepared to be petrified.